The Naturalistic Decision-Making Podcast with Brian Moon and Laura Militello. This podcast series brings you interviews with leading NDM researchers who study and support people who make decisions under stress. Welcome to the Naturalistic Decision-Making Podcast. This is Brian Moon from Perigene Technologies. And I'm Laura Militello from Applied Decision Science. We're happy today to talk with Sean Weil. Sean is an Executive Vice President at Aptima. In this role, he works with a broad range of Aptima's staff and consultants to ensure alignment between Aptima's technical capabilities and the real-world needs of Aptima's customers. Sean's personal research areas include social media, command and control, advanced training, and communications analysis for organizational assessment. Sean received a PhD and MA in Cognitive Experimental Psychology from Ohio State University with specializations in cognitive engineering, quantitative psychology, and psycholinguistics. He previously received a BA in psychology and music from Binghamton University, SUNY. He's a member of the Human Factors and Ergonomics Society, the American Psychological Association, the National Defense Industrial Association, and the Cognitive Science Society. Welcome, Sean. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. So I guess a good place to start would be uh, just to have you tell our audience uh, a bit more about Aptima, and particularly if you can kind of draw the connections between Aptima and the NDM community over the years. Absolutely. You know, it's really interesting because when I describe Aptima to most people, I'm assuming that they are looking at it or they are starting from a standpoint of, of an engineering company. But speaking to the, nat- the naturalistic decision-making community, it's really quite the opposite. Uh, on my business card, it says human-centered engineering, which can mean different things to different people. I could be doing ergonomics, uh, or I could be doing straight-on human factors. So the way I like to describe it often is to say, on the one hand, we look at things from the standpoint of the social, cognitive, behavioral sciences construed pretty broadly. And on the other hand, we look at problems from a data science perspective or an engineering perspective. Aptima's strength really comes at the intersection of those two vantage points. And and in that intersection, there are some truly wicked problems. In, in training, in performance assessment, in interface design, in human-machine interaction, a lot of the things that people in the NDM community think about day in and day out. So Aptima actually started looking at command and control problems, but they were starting, the, their foundation when the company was founded was one of control-theoretic uh, electrical engineering where humans were really considered noise to be subtracted out in the system. And the insight that Optimus founders had was that the human component was a critical component to be, to be considered when trying to optimize these complex systems. Adding the socio to the complex socio-technical systems which, you know, for people listening to this podcast is an obvious addition, is an obvious perspective. But when you're starting out from a a purely engineering perspective, it's not as intuitive. So I I went back and I looked at what exactly does the NDM community think about? And I, I realized that the connection to this community is quite deep. And not just because we we have a lot of staff members who come out of labs and universities that have strong NDM or cognitive systems engineering uh, uh, programs, but also because the kinds of things that we're looking at are the things that are central to NDM. Decision-making in complex settings is where Aptima thrives. Lots of defense domains in op centers or submarines or aircraft or in in small groups, uh, but also in healthcare and safety and law enforcement, uh, the concept of sense making is 
is central to the way that we approach these different problems, especially in conjunction with emerging AI and expert systems. And finally, the idea of doing any kind of knowledge elicitation, whether it's a cognitive task analysis or a mission essential competency analysis or some other kind of structured approach for domain decomposition, is something that we just intuitively or reflexively do as complex domains are put in front of us. I, when I think about the work that we do, oftentimes the connection to NDM is implicit, but it's also pervasive in the way Aptima approaches problems. Excellent. Yeah, you mentioned sort of the uh, connections uh, of people, uh, and, and those are the connections that that, that I usually make. Uh, certainly, um, you know, over the years, having Aptima folks at the NDM conferences and uh, and just having past relationships with with folks uh, and ongoing relationships with folks from Aptum are, are the uh, are the networking kind of relationships that that I think about. But um, but yeah, so so that that sort of uh, early uh, focus on engineering but human centeredness uh, that, that that's been there throughout. And I wonder if you could just dive uh, a bit more into that in terms of the sort of domains that you all work in and um, and where that human centeredness sort of is called out in those domains. Sure. The, you know, it, it's funny the way that you've presented it there, because there are so many domains that Optima works in. And I think I could come up with a very compelling, very strong story about the influence of NDM implicitly or explicitly in any one of those domains. But let me let me pick just one or two that I think are the the listeners to this podcast might be interested in. The Air Force, for instance, was keenly interested in the way in which their airmen were being trained. They wanted to ensure that the men and women who were in the Air Force were getting the 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 classroom training and the on-the-job training that would make them really good at their jobs. So how do you approach such a problem when you're talking about tens of thousands of, of people? This is where developing a knowledge elicitation process that is appropriate to the questions that are being asked really came into play. And Optima for many years and continues uh, to this day to execute on some of these knowledge elicitation processes going from domain to domain and using a structured interviewing technique decomposes the the requirements the knowledge skills and, and attributes that are required for successful performance in that domain the, the method that we use is one that's been developed in conjunction with the Air Force Research Laboratory and the Group for Organizational Effectiveness. It has deep roots in industrial organizational psychology, which the, the, the method that we use is called mission, mission essential competencies. But at its heart, it is a task decomposition in the tradition of CTA. Another way to look at the problem is we can look at a uh, an operations center. When I was in graduate school, I remember learning about NASA operations centers and some of the idiosyncrasies of communication and information flow within those organizations or within that operations center. At Optima, we have embraced analyses that have emerged with the ubiquity of, of communications and sensing technologies. So in that operations center, you can now very explicitly look at the flows of information from person to person, whether or not that communication is email or chat 
or face-to-face -face communication, you could use modern statistical natural language processing techniques to extract or abstract the topics that are being talked about. You could avoid looking at those the content completely and instead look at the non-indexical properties of the speech or the, the chat that is inflection or emphasis uh, or some deviation from the norm. And then you can contextualize what you find based on models or theories of communication norms in order to diagnose problems uh, or maybe even the antecedents of those problems. And all of this is in the service of detecting effective decision-making or maybe identifying the obstacles to effective decision-making in those complex environments. Right. So I hear you kind of hearkening back to some of your research. And, and that makes me wonder, you know, before this executive role that you now have, you were a very active research. That's certainly researcher. That's certainly where I first came in contact with you. I'm wondering uh, if you could sort of talk about your, your research days and then tell us sort of how this transition to a more executive role has gone for you. I've been thinking a lot about that recently. The, the pandemic that we are all living through right now offers a lot of opportunities for reflection. Uh, maybe it's the reflection that I don't get to have sitting on airplanes these days. But, you know, I, I started out at Binghamton University in New York convinced I was going to be a music therapist. And how do you become a music therapist? Well, I assumed that you would double major in music and psychology and then poof, you would be a music therapist. It turns out, by the way, that that's not what happens. Uh, if you want to be a music therapist, you go and get a degree in music therapy. But it actually helped me. It 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 led me onto a road that has been a very rewarding career, and I still have a lot of years left in this career. But I anticipate nothing but interesting, intellectually stimulating things. I fell into a psychoacoustics laboratory. Dr. Richard Pastor, Dick Pastor, was my undergraduate advisor. And he was doing, on the one hand, laboratory reductionist experiments in, in auditory perception, very low-level psychophysics. But on the other hand, he was looking, or people in his lab were looking at expertise and expert novice differences in uh, music and auditory perception. And he was doing some basic human factors research in alarm discrimination. I went on to The Ohio State University where I was focused on psychophysics. I was working in a psycholinguistics lab that again was quite traditional in the methods that it was using and the questions that it was asking. We were looking at basic models of speech perception and how the human speech organ worked in terms of language perception. And while I found that work interesting intellectually, it wasn't what I decided I was going to do with the remainder of my career. So I, I kind of stumbled into Dave Wood's lab when I was at the Ohio State University because I hadn't been in that uh, department. I took a, a class uh, in cognitive systems engineering uh, and found that a lot of the problems I had with traditional experimental approaches and the narrowness of the aperture in looking at complex problems was completely eliminated when you had a different set of methods at your disposal. Methodological purity or experimental purity doesn't allow you to even look at some domains of interest, some complex 
critical areas of inquiry are simply closed to you because you can never design the experiments required or if you can the pace of inquiry would be so maddeningly slow that by the time you had some insight the world would have passed you by so i found in cognitive systems engineering a new tool set that allowed inquiry into new domains I started at Aptima in 2004, a very excited scientist, and I got thrown into the deep end of the pool. I was able to simultaneously work on projects that had to do with command and control or communications or novel training methods and was very excited to continue the 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 publishing at least in conference proceedings that i had done when i was a graduate student uh, and i did that for the first five years of my tenure at aptima but what i found was i was a reasonably good scientist in a group that had a lot of really good scientists but that I had a knack for translating across disciplines. Recall that Aptima staff is comprised of folks who have both cognitive, social, behavioral science backgrounds and different engineering backgrounds, applied mathematics, electrical engineering, computational linguistics. Now you throw in software developers and domain subject matter experts, and you really have the potential for a lot of confusion. But I learned something from Dave Woods, although don't tell him that I learned anything from him. One thing that I did learn from what he had said is that you have to learn how the language that's being used by people is being used differently. You have to be particularly attuned to those differences so you can start to connect dots that other people might not even recognize or not connected. That's how I wound up working not only on the research side, but on the business side as well, engaging with customers understanding their concerns and being able to translate those concerns in ways that engineers and NDM scientists would really understand. And in my current role, I'm the executive vice president for business strategy at Aptima. I get to look at the business from a really from a from a systems perspective. It's not as if I'm not involved in proposal activities or brainstorming on topics of interest to NDM podcast listeners. It's quite the opposite. I kind of have the best job because behind the scenes, I'm involved in everybody's project. I get to hear and critique and learn from all of the scientists and engineers who are trying to develop solutions to problems in complex socio-technical domains where critical decisions need to be made. Sean, I'm going to kind of build on that. That's a, um, I, I'm really resonating with the way you're framing all of this. And I'm thinking about Aptima, which you know started with a handful of people who um, had kind of worked together and had a shared human-centered perspective and kind of rapidly grew. And so I'm wondering, as you have kind of expanded and you've got this staff with really diverse multidisciplinary backgrounds, how are you able to kind of stay true to some of these principles that you you discovered over time, the limits of, of, of constraining yourself to, to a small set of rigorous methods, um, you know, an openness to field research, an emphasis on the human. How do you, um, 
make that perspective pervasive across this company with many project teams and uh, people with different educational backgrounds? How do you, how do you do that? It's a really interesting question, Laura, and it's one that I struggle with because on the one hand, as a business, we are always interested in growing. On the other hand, we also want to be true to our core principles of innovation and impact and and empathy in ways that are are very much tied to that human-centered slogan that I've got on my business card. I had a a hard lesson when I started at at Aptima. Remember that my formal graduate training was in traditional experimental design. And there was there was a project that I was assigned to when I started at Aptima called A2C2, or the A2C2 stood for Adaptive Architectures for Command and Control. And it was quasi-experimental. We had folks coming in to a laboratory at the Naval Postgraduate School to run through a, a simulation where we did a formal manipulation right? We had multiple conditions and we were trying to look at differences in performance. Everything about it would have made my undergraduate psychological methods professor cringe. (laughs) Because there there weren't enough controls there. We didn't have a high enough N. You had multiple people in an experiment together. It, It just didn't adhere it didn't align with with those methods, but it did provide a lot of insight if you knew where to look for it. And what we found was we had converging methods. We were working with a university that could run hundreds of undergraduates through versions of the same experiments that we were running with Navy officers. And if we saw similar patterns between those groups, we could reasonably extrapolate conclusions that we could then test operationally. So the lesson that I learned there was that I shouldn't be clinging again, maybe this is a lesson that I had to learn multiple times, was that I couldn't cling to methodological purity if we were going to approach questions in really messy environments. And so that's a lesson that I've taken to a lot of the things that Aptima does, right? So as we're looking, because there are always constraints, there are budget constraints, there are timeline constraints, there are cultural constraints, sometimes there are political constraints, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't ask the questions or try to develop solutions to problems that are having real world effects. So what I try to teach our staff and what I try to do myself is to is to ask myself, can I approach this research or this analysis or this development with that underlying principle of human centeredness right at the forefront? These challenges increase as the company expands because some of the pressures towards uh, thinking about things the way everybody else does they they get pretty pretty strong right but we really want to make sure that those are the questions that are being asked so we can remain true to ourselves yeah i think um i mean i think ndm researchers are all nodding along at what you're saying and both um you know the appreciation for rigorous methods um but the tension that you experience and how forceful the arguments can be so it's it's interesting to hear you say that. And I think a lot of NDM researchers wind up working in small organizations with like-minded people for that reason. Uh, but but so it's interesting to hear you talk about how you you really try to make that explicit. It's on your business card. You, you, you talk about this. You try to bring the focus around a human centeredness and, and really have that a lot of success at, at leveraging other approaches in a, a complementary way. That's right, Laura. And you know, there are a couple of things that you've said reminded me. When we talk about multidisciplinary, there are different levels of multidisciplinary, right? There's, hey, we've got we've got a cognitive scientist and an industrial organizational scientist and a UX person working together. That's multidisciplinary, 
Right. Or you have a cognitive scientist, a material scientist, and uh, uh, I don't know, an exobotanist working together. <laughs> right. So one of the things that we found is, again, looking things, looking at things from more and more holistic, a more and more holistic perspective, you start to, to see, well, really the good stuff, the stuff that's really going to be interesting is when you put people together whose disciplines are so different that you are forced to create a new vocabulary, a new vernacular in order for innovation to occur. And as an NDM practitioner or a cognitive systems engineer, I love that because it's an opportunity to proselytize. It's an opportunity to spread the gospel of NDM to domains where it really hasn't had the effect that we want it to have. And as an executive in a company with such a long and strong tradition in NDM, it's a pleasure for me to be able to put that gentle pressure on our staff to move in those directions. Yeah, Sean, that's a that's an interesting point. And I'm wondering, as you proselytize, have there been places where it just uh, you've just struggled to sort of get that message across or where the the pushback has been you know so severe that you sort of give up i mean you're sort of out there trying to make the case where have you seen the most resistance so i have to tell a story in answer to that question brian because i have been in some wonderful situations but rarely do people, when I'm describing, hey, we really need to invest in upfront knowledge elicitation to really understand this problem, and I'm talking to a room full of engineers, most of the time you get head nods, but then the execution is lacking. But I had one experience where I went in front of a group of engineers and scientists and software developers in a government agency. And I had one guy who was very articulate in why he thought this NDM stuff was total BS. And in the moment, I was very diplomatic. I was very politic. I tried to convince the other people around him that, no, there's really a lot of value here in understanding the domain so you don't wind up spending a lot of time, money, energy, and resources solving a problem that isn't really the central problem. But I also walked away from the meeting understanding that the guy who had been uh, a little bit of a, of, a, of a provocateur in that meeting was speaking from a place of experience that really differed from mine. And what motivated his opposition to NDM-related approaches wasn't the hypothetical value of understanding a domain better, but his actual experience seeing significant portions of budgets on previous efforts used to do knowledge elicitation that wound up being less than insightful. And as an engineer, he saw that as quite wasteful because the conclusions that other people had found were self-evident. So it was a reminder to me of some of the limitations of our methods in these contexts, but also that the exception sometimes proves the rule. Because most of the time, when we look at domains, we find a lot of surprises to, to your original question, Brian, about what do we do with that resistance and do we just walk away? I should say that in that specific instance, while we didn't do what we had originally intended on doing, which was a broad analysis of a particular Air Force domain, we actually convinced some of the other people in the room that that actually was going to be a benefit to their programs in the long term. 
And we've done a number of efforts for that same organization. But the more general point is that so Aptima largely does work for the Department of Defense, we are finding less and less resistance to some of these approaches as the technical complexity in those domains increases because of the pace of integration of artificial intelligence and machine learning and other modern technologies are having a significant disruptive effect on workflow and the ability to execute on the missions and tasks of those organizations. So we have less resistance now because people are feeling the pain of misalignment in complex systems. Right. Yeah, no, I think those kinds of stories are super important to uh, to get out there because um, the the happy path uh, of these NDM projects is is not always the one that we go down, and I think it's important for us to you know remind others that the the struggle is real, uh, and it's okay if you um, uh, if you can't quite make that convincing case because there's um, there, there's other ways to make it, uh, and, and there's other you know, other customers out there. But, um, but yeah, I think it's great that you shared that struggle. I, I want to go back to um, uh, your, your comment about stumbling into the, uh, to the uh, lab at Ohio State. I, I sort of wish they could somehow institutionalize that stumbling and we could get more people to stumble through Dave Wood's lab. But I wonder if um, you mentioned Dave and, and we won't, we won't speak of him again, as you asked us earlier, but I wonder if there are other um, uh, other folks that you kind of call out as influences uh, on your work and, and your perspective. Yeah, you know, that's that's a great point. And I'm only kidding about, about Dave. D- Dave is actually one of the biggest influences on my career. And I'll get to that in a second uh, and how that happened. I'm I'm really fortunate to be friends with some some stellar human beings who are part of the NDM community or human factors or experimental psychology or cognitive engineering. Gary Klein or Steve Fiore or Robert Hoffman, Nadine Sarder. I'm I'm fortunate to have gone to school with Emily Patterson and worked with Emily Roth. And at Aptima, I've had amazing mentors in Gene McMillan and Jared Freeman and Elliot Enton that I credit for not just the scientific approach that I take, but maybe the human approach that I take. But the two people who have been the biggest influences on my career are David Woods, uh, who is was my adopted father at Ohio State when I was there, who, who took me in as a stray. And the second person is Danielle Serfiti, who is the founder and CEO of Aptima. So let me talk about David for just a second, because at the time, and this was in the early 2000s, he had a lab filled with mutts. And what I mean by that is he would find people in other disciplines, computer science or design or art or architecture, you name it. And certainly I was one of those people. And he filled the lab up. He gave us the tools to think about these complex systems, but he encouraged us to draw from the disciplines that we were coming from so we could bring something new to the domains that we were studying or the designs that we were doing. And uh, he and I, because I was coming from a traditional laboratory psychology background, I had the, the, the set of experiences or I had the academic training to push back against the, the, the more holistic, methodologically questionable ethnographic approaches that he was, he was, encouraging us to look at and in that tension in that in that uh, that headbutting came lots of insights for me but i think the biggest 
thing that I took away from my time with him at Ohio State was the necessity to look at problems from the 30,000 foot view and then from the 30 foot view and to be able to go back and forth between those two perspectives. He always says, when you're feeling too concrete, go abstract. And when you're acting too abstract, go concrete. And that is a lesson that I take with me everywhere I go. So I started at Aptima in 2004 with some of those lessons in hand. And I found that Danielle, who founded Aptima in 1995 with that command control project, uh, who was coming from an engineering approach, but had embraced the influence of social cognitive behavioral sciences, all with an NDM twist, he shared some of that worldview that Dave had taught me to think about things from a holistic perspective, from a systems perspective, and to use that knowledge of what you were trying to do more globally to influence what your inquiry should be, what your development should be, what your experimental methodology should be to understand one portion of that larger system. So I take what those two mentors have told me and shown me, and I try to bring that into all of the work that Aptim is doing. Yeah, that, that's a great story and, and, and great color. And, and I think, uh, yeah, it's interesting just to trace your sort of multidisciplinarianism <laughs> all the way back to those roots. It, it's, and it's absolutely true. Uh, I work now with folks who have really varied backgrounds, not just within Aptima. Within Aptima, we have a stellar staff with uh, a range of backgrounds from neuroscience to astrophysics, all interested in problems that relate to human performance or the integration of a human into a system or the integration of new technology into a human organization. But beyond Aptima, we work with people with an even broader array of backgrounds in synthetic biology or computational political science or uh, physicians or you name it. We have worked with people, environmental science and, and, and all sorts of things, thinking about the problems from a systems perspective and then asking myself, well, where is the human-centered, where is the NDM perspective here? How can I influence things in ways that will ultimately support complex decision-making? Those are lessons I really learned from Dave Woods and Daniel Serfiti. Right. Th this next question is probably a big one uh, and might be a bit challenging to answer, but but where where is Ackman sort of looking to take the work next? Is Are there areas uh, that you're just now sort of getting a beachhead on that uh, you really see expanding over the next couple of years? Yeah. Do you have another two hours for this conversation? Maybe a, maybe a follow-up <laughs> podcast just on this? Yeah, I realize that's <laughs> a pretty big question, but uh, keep it to three minutes if you can. You got it. Look, I mean, this is, this is the million-dollar question, but I'll, I'll say a couple of things here. On the, on the one hand, there are a whole bunch of research and development questions that we have been just itching to ask and to do inquiry about for years. I remember back in the early 2000s, Dave Woods talking about stuff that he had written about in the 1990s, 1980s even, about the effects of automation onto workflows in complex environments. Well, now here we are in the 2020s, and things that were very much laboratory-based or conceptual are now every day. So there's a whole host of research and development questions on human-computer interaction in all sorts of domains that we know as NDM practitioners are going to crop up. 
And when they do, and when there aren't technological solutions to those problems, that's where the kind of research and development, the kind of inquiry that NBM practitioners do is going to become more and more critical. We're trying to get ahead of that. Similarly, we're, we've been doing a lot of operator state assessment, but even at an organizational level, you can start getting a sense of what the current status of that organization is based on uh, a uh, measure of the activity that they're already engaged in, which now is being recorded. It's mediated through technology. So it's sensible and it's recordable and it's analyzable. And using all that information, we could start making decisions that optimize those organizations in ways that we couldn't do before. And all of this is a very human-centric approach. In the past, you didn't have access to this information. Now that you do, how do you use it in ways that are really going to be positive for that organization? But the other thing that Aptima is really looking to do, and we are finding some success, is in the maturation of the technologies that we've developed, all of which have a, a strong NDM, human-centric, supporting decision-making component, and finding applications for those in larger programs. Because one of Aptima's central principles is impact. There's no benefit to developing a, a, a new technology, a new decision support tool, a new, uh, a, a, a new artificial assistant if it's just going to sit on a shelf somewhere. So we have been spending a lot of time to understand the larger procurement system and the larger business case for getting some of these things in, really into regular operational use. And, and that is a, a big part of my role at Aptima as the Executive Vice President for Business Strategy. So I want to jump in on that. One of the things I have admired about your work is that um, you do get to the the actual application that has an impact. And you, um, Aptima has... Uh, several patents, um, which a lot of scientists never get there. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your strategy for patent. When, when do you decide to go to the expense and trouble to patent? And, and just what's that process like? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, Laura. And I should say, this is the caveat, I'm not the patent expert at Aptima. Uh, although I have a patent with my name on it, there are, are folks here who are far more steeped in the pros and cons of patents. For me, uh, you know, patents are weird, exotic things, right? <laughs> As a scientist, the concept of owning an idea and keeping other people from using it is, is baffling. Right. But as a business, it's a way of differentiating ourselves from competitors. And in a traditional business strategy approach, you want to hold on to your patents really jealously in order to retain that differentiation for as long as possible so you could get an advantage for the success of your business. But Optima isn't the kind of organization that is a closed-door organization. We encourage our staff to publish what they're doing whenever possible and to be members of their professional organizations, in part because we want to demonstrate to our customers that we are a company full of innovators. And innovation comes with collaboration, with sharing. So we have a, a collection of patents, in part to demonstrate and to encourage internally this spirit of innovation. And then what do we do with those patents? It's, it's, uh, there's a defensive element for the, the patent pirates out there who will point to something that somebody's doing and say, hey, we've got 10,000 patents 
in our patent portfolio. So we're going to put pressure on you until you pay us royalties and that kind of stuff. So there's some defensive aspect to it. But for my money, the main reason that we have patents is, or why we encourage people to patent the work that they're doing is to demonstrate the, the innovation quotient that we bring to the problems we're trying to address. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So I, I, uh, I'm appreciating the kind of tension you're, you're describing between, uh, being very open and collaborative and part of the scientific conversation and needing to kind of jealously guard some components. Um, and, and so it, it just, it sounds like, um, you know, that's a, a tough decision every time. Is that, is that right? Which side do you want to land on there? I don't know that it's a tough decision. Okay. The default answer is openness as far as I'm concerned. And that has been the approach that Aptima has, has taken. When it's appropriate for things to be open source, we make them open source. And unless there are specific disclosure limits on projects, we encourage our staff to go and publish. That is a different stance than some other companies doing work in these same domains, but it has been an explicit decision that we've made because, and again, this goes back to Daniel Serafiti and the culture that he, that he wanted within the organization, that innovation comes with collaboration. So the more we are able to do that collaboration, the more ultimately that we will succeed. Makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So I'm going to just switch gears here a little bit and ask a uh, kind of a fun question. So um, you meet a complete stranger who claims to be a human centered practitioner on pain of death. You're given one question to determine if they are indeed human centered. What would you ask? I would ask them to describe a car and I would wait to see what their answer is. And if they tell me about the engine or the brakes or the computer system or the aerodynamics, but they don't mention the driver or the purpose of having a car, then I'll know that they're not really human centered in their thinking. If instead they say a car is a conveyance for people to move from one place to another with speed and safety that aligns with their overall tasking or, you know, put it in a, in a less, in a less jargony way, then I'll know that they take a human centered approach probably my engineer friends would say, that's not what a car is. A car is a <laughs> that has wheels and an engine and talk about internal combustion and talk about the sensors on the brakes that let you know when you need to replace them. There are all ways to looking. There are so many ways to look at that. But to me, getting at the heart of the purpose of the, the thing for the driver and for the larger holistic socio-technical system that that driver is a part of is part and partial of being human centered. I love that. So you're just asking kind of a general question to kind of assess what's the lens this person uses as they look at the world. What's, what's in the foreground for them? Is it the brakes or is it, why do you need a car? What are you going to do with it? How's it going to help the human or the system? I love that. That's exactly right, Laura. It's, and I have to say that if the person does start talking about the engine, you know what? That person knows a lot more about engines than I do. And if the two of us are working together and he has the engine vantage point and I have the person vantage point, we may be able to come up with a better solution together than either of us can alone. And that's where I really embrace a multidisciplinary approach and 
I hope that some of my human centeredness kind of rubs off on him or her. So the next project that they are working on, they bring a little of that with them. Nice. Very nice. All right. So second, uh, second fun question and the final question of the podcast. Uh, tell our audience something about you that they might not know. Well, your audience may know nothing about me. So everything that you talk about <laughs> might be totally novel to them. But I'll have to say that, you know, you mentioned right at the beginning of my bio that I have a, I, I majored in music as an undergraduate, but I'm still a very active musician. I play euphonium, which is a brass instrument that's about half the size of a tuba. Uh, and I've been playing for years. It, during the pandemic, I've done a whole bunch of online wind ensemble things where I've gone to play. I also play piano and I sing. I sang with the Columbus Symphony Orchestra uh, chorus when I was in Columbus and I've sang with semi-professional groups here. Uh, I even had a video of me singing uh, the Grinch song go relatively viral a couple of years ago with over 10,000 views. Very nice. I'm also an avid genealogist, and I found family who were unknown to me, at least, across the U.S. and in England and Australia and New Zealand and Israel and South Africa. And it's been a, a wonderful hobby for 25 plus years to kind of track people down and satisfies this uh, this kind of detective, uh, you know, this interest in, in detective work uh, that I find very satisfying. So when I'm not trying to, to do all of the plate spinning and juggling that I do at Aptima, uh, and I'm not spending time with my wife and two kids, I'm playing music or tracking down family. Well, it sounds like a very busy existence. So I will uh, I'll thank you for giving us a bit of your time today. This has been a lot of fun and uh, it's been a real pleasure to speak with you. And on that note, uh, thanks for joining us for the NDM podcast. I'm Brian Moon. And I'm Laura Militello. Learn more about naturalistic decision-making and where to follow us by visiting naturalisticdecisionmaking.org. Thank you.